Infernal Symphonies Pestilence Podcast, the only podcast about the UK's most prolific metal band. Hello there guys and welcome back to another brand new edition and episode of the Infernal Symphony Pestilence Podcast with me, your host, Demonic Bishop. Yes, how are we doing guys? I'm extremely revved up and fired up for this episode. We've got some absolutely fantastic stuff on the way. I have had a little bit of a break from recording these because I have, uh, as you know, the way I sort of tend to do these is I will record things in advance. So it has been a good number of weeks since since I've done a podcast and uh, I may be a little bit out of practice but uh, I suppose we'll find out about that for sure one way or another as we go but uh, for now let's just dive straight on into the episode straight away i've got some absolutely stonkingly brilliant things lined up for this episode guys so i really really hope you guys are gonna join us for the whole ride uh, because as you can see i'm absolutely frothing at the mouth unable to formulate the english language in order to express my points and get across to you just how excited i am for this episode so without further ado what are we going to be talking about this episode well of course this is episode 12 This is the start of a brand new month. We're absolutely exactly halfway through the year at this point, with it being the first week of June uh, 2020. Jesus Christ, that makes me feel so old. But nevertheless, uh, we've got an absolutely fantastic show lined up for you today. So, with it being the month of June, this does mark a little bit of an anniversary this month, which we may end up sort of uh, developing on uh, either this episode or the next one in the next couple of weeks. But essentially, this month marks the uh, third year anniversary of our second album, and a much neglected album, really, called a little thing called The Poisoned Chalice. So that was our second album. It was uh, released with great fanfare in the run-up to, uh, you know, the very, very initial start of the band, because, of course, Unholy Persecution, our debut, came out in the March of 2017, which, you know, made quite a big splash, although it was to be surpassed by our second album, which, of course, was called The Poison Chalice. So the reason I wanted to dedicate an episode to this particular album is because... Um, over the course of this podcast and basically over the course of Infernal Symphony's career so far, it seems to be one of the uh, sort of um, slightly more underdog albums. How can I put this? Um, it's pretty much a fantastic album which seems to have been overlooked essentially in place of some of the bigger and perhaps more bolder and brasher albums such as Psychopathic Remains, Tapestry of Torment or Transformation of the Celestial Realm. However, there is a lot to be said about the fantasticness of the second album because it very much developed upon what was, uh, you know, which foundations were laid by both Unholy Persecution and, of course, the, 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 you know, the much earlier, more primitive release, which you also heard earlier this year in March, called uh, Abattoir of Agony, which was our true first album. So if any of you guys are brand new listeners to this and the entire sentence went over your head and confused the fuck out of you, please be sure to go back and listen to some of the previous episodes of this podcast, which you can find at anchor.fm forward slash Infernal Symphony. And if you, you want to listen to any of the uh, music or tracks that are going to be talked about this episode, please feel free to head on over to infernalsymphonyuk.bandcamp.com, which is where you'll find all of our music to uh, if, listen to um, for free, or you can download it for a small sum. And of course, you can also join the Heathens Club, which will grant you exclusive access to certain albums and um, basically give you uh, an entire wealth of albums for free straight off the bat. So... 
<laughs> that's a little bit of the promotion out of the way so far. We are, of course, going to be doing a sponsorship a little bit later on. But before we get into that, I just want to go back into uh, The Poison Chalice in a little bit more detail because it is a fantastically remarkable album. Uh, there are some absolutely incredible tracks on that album. And, I, you know, it's something that very much, um, I, I know I say this about all of my albums, but it really does mean a hell of a lot to me, this album. It, it holds a very special place in my heart. There's some fantastic songs on there that I still, to this day, you know, three, four years after recording it, I still have, you know, crystal clear memories about recording the album. It was the first album I'd recorded since I'd moved out of my house. Uh, I'd basically moved out from living with my parents at the time. I was about probably 23 or 24 years old, which is quite old to be moving out in some ways. But, uh, but nevertheless, it was the start of a whole new chapter in my life at that point. For those of you that have followed the history of the band and you've listened intently to some of the previous episodes, you'll know a lot about the history of Infernal Symphony and how it came to be, how things progressed and what happened from year to year and moment to moment, from the run-up to me leaving second uh, and even before that, all the way up to crafting the first couple of albums. And this basically is designed to continue on the story. Um, because basically what happened was I left home, uh, I'd moved to Derby full-time, in, you know, basically living on my own for the very first time in life. I'd started a new job, I'd left a previous girlfriend, I'd obviously left a previous job before that, and things were starting to move in a very, very unique direction for me at the time. And it was a very, very exciting chapter in my life, which was documented very, very heavily in this album, because The Poison Chalice in particular is an album that was very much centred around the theme of love and love lost. And that was obviously very much influenced by my recent breakup with my partner at the time. This isn't the same partner from the previous episode where we talked about Incinery. This is the second girlfriend I had. And I'm not going to go mentioning any names or talking about that in any great length because, to be honest, the album speaks for itself, really. Um, if you listen to that album... You'll hear from top to bottom all of the different emotions I went through during the process of that breakup. They're all documented for all to see. And it's very, very unique and uh, important, really, because this was very much a departure from some of the music and some of the themes and some of the concepts that we'd gone through up to this point. Uh, Of course, it was still early days. It was only the second album. But uh, it marks an absolutely drastic change from the first, you know. Unholy Persecution was very much there to kind of set in stone the foundations of what, of what Infernal Symphony was to come. It was basically there to kind of establish our primary themes and motivation and basically just let people know that we were a medieval influenced band, a black metal band, an instrumental progressive band and a solo project. And all of that was laid down on the table from the get-go. The Poison Chalice pretty much took things a step further um, with, uh, you know, introducing a, a slightly better guitar sound, some more complicated riffing, some little bit more mature and expertly crafted songwriting compared to the first couple of albums. And pretty much just in general, it was just a major sort of departure, but also a minor improvement over pretty much everything that had already happened. So, you know, that was a great, fantastic album. It's something that has very much kind of been forgotten about, I would say, over the last couple of years. I think primarily because we've had so many albums over the past few years, it's very, very difficult to keep track of all of them. And I think some of them, you know, as is the natural course and order of things, some are going to hit harder than others. Sometimes things will hit, uh, you know, and people will kind of get the grab, uh, get the, you know, get get to grips with something more or less immediately, whereas some certain types of albums naturally take a little longer to take root, and this is certainly one of those albums. So uh, we're going to be playing a few songs from the album over the course of this episode. We've also got some absolutely fantastic other topics to cover as well, some of which I will reveal a little bit later on in the show, some of which we're going to talk about very, very shortly. So before we do any of that, we're going to go into a quick sponsorship very, very uh, shortly, 
some other things that we want to talk about is, of course, another brand new album, which is going to be coming out this month, um, which, of course, is Laceration Coronation. However, we have already covered that album in fairly good sort of level of detail over the last couple of episodes. So instead... Either this or potentially the next episode is also going to be covering another new album we have coming out. Yes, guys, it's just going to keep on continuing all year this year. We're not going to let up with the releases. Of course, we've already had Litany of Arrows EP. We've had the Libraries of the Abyss album, plus the Abattoir of Agony demo released as well. We've now had uh, Laceration Coronation coming out, which is going to be this month. Um, I'm not sure on the exact date of that, but that will be on the way very swiftly. So I'll probably let you know about that a little bit later in the show. But for next month in July, we have another brand new album coming out, which is a another complete and total departure from Laceration Coronation, uh, which hasn't even come out yet. And that is a brand new album, another Dungeon Synth album, and it will be our 13th or 14th album. Correct me if I'm wrong. But this brand new, absolutely fantastic album is going to be called... Drumroll, please. No, it's not going to be called that, guys. No, the brand new album is called Demigod Plastination, and it pretty much is a follow-up, sequel, and, of course, a counterpoint to Laceration Coronation. So the album that's going to be coming out this month, guys, is, of course, all about the coronation of the uh, the Antichrist. It's going to be about, you know, succeeding the throne and all of the betrayal and all the different things that go on in the process of carrying the throne and the crown. Um, and, uh, there's, uh, you know, I kind of already went into depth with that a little bit in the last episode. So this next follow-up album, Demigod Plastination, is going to be coming out in around about four or five weeks. And the concept of this one, basically, is what would happen if you... Uh, pretty much dissected and did an autopsy on a demigod and figured out what the hell was inside them that caused them to do so much evil shit. That is a very, very basic sort of, uh, you know, premise for the album, but we're going to be going into a little bit more depth as to what that entails and what it sounds like with a few various different clips of some of the tracks that are going to be coming up on that album a little bit later on in the show. So for now... We're going to get this ginormous intro out of the way. We're going to play some sponsorship material for you in just a second. And we're going to have a bit more of a deep dive on some of the in-depth stuff we're going to be talking about throughout the rest of the episode very, very shortly. So until then, thanks very much for listening, guys. Continue to listen as we go because we're going to be in for a bumpy ride this month. And uh, we will see you very, very soon. Okay then, guys, so in lieu of an official sponsor, which we somehow are still waiting for Anchor to move the sponsorships from America only to uh, the rest of the world, including where I am, the UK, instead, this section is going to be filled with a quick little uh, promo for my own uh, business venture. So in other words, this is a little bit of a promo for Infernal Symphonies, Bandcamp, plus the Heathens Club, and uh, anything else that we've got coming up as well. So head to infernalsymphonyuk.bandcamp.com that is where you'll find all of our um, released um, albums, singles and EPs all of our whole discographies on there so you can listen to it all for free you can download most of it for a measly sum of £2.50 or slightly higher for longer albums and there are occasionally uh, you know, the odd uh, free album here or there or pay what you like album so that includes the debut that I created so many many moons ago Unholy Persecution and it's going to include an EP coming up 
in a couple of months as well. Um, but further to that, you can head to the Heathens Club section of the site as well, which allows you to subscribe to the Infinity Symphony Fan Club, the Heathens Club, which allows you to not only receive a ton of loads of different albums and EPs that have already come out, it'll also sign you up to instantly receive any of the new ones that come out in the future, um, including all the new Dungeon Synth stuff that's coming up next year. Um, further to that, it also gives you 20% off of all of our merchandise. It allows you to get exclusive updates and polls and videos and photos from the Infernal Symphony fan club, which also allows you to not only message me, Demonic Bishop, directly, it also allows you to message other fellow Infernal Symphony fans face-to-face as well. So there's tons of benefits, guys. If you're not signed up to it already, you really should do. So head to infernalsymphonyuk.pancamp.com Head to the Heathens Club, £3 a month, and all of this could be yours. So here we are. So yes, we have three pivotal albums we're going to be talking about across the entirety of this episode, guys. What that's going to leave us to talk about in a couple of weeks for episode 13 is anyone's guess. But uh, suffice to say, we should have plenty of content and material to be talking about now. So the reason I wanted to talk about these albums in particular, well, Poison Chalice is uh, a bit of a no-brainer, really, because it's never really been featured on the podcast up until now. Because, as I said in the, uh, as I sort of alluded to in the intro there, um, I've got so many albums out now that some of them obviously have taken precedent over others. Uh, but that's not to say the ones that have been forgotten about and not talked so much about so far uh, have anything to be desired. So that's kind of why it's worth us bringing up Poison Chalice finally because this album certainly does have its fans Um, it's probably I think probably the fifth or sixth most played album in our discography so it sits comfortably in the middle there Um, which obviously isn't as impressive considering the fact that it's been out longer than some of the other albums but uh, nevertheless it's still an album that is definitely sort of you know raved about and lauded uh, by uh, certain individuals so I think it's time for them to have their time in the spotlight really and it's definitely time for a light to be shone upon this album because you know throughout the year I usually end up doing various different commemorative posts to celebrate anniversaries of certain albums on the Facebook page of the band and uh, it has actually basically come to my attention that uh, this is one album that I've actually neglected to do that for up until now and it's been a few years so this uh, album was definitely much in need of some love so it's about time it featured on the podcast and it's about time you guys listen to it as well. Um, it was a very, very interesting album. Um, as I said, it kind of was a bit of a departure from what was established on our debut. Um, but basically, the main thing I wanted to get across with making this album at the time was to try and kind of get rid of some of my internal emotions and try and kind of, you know, use them in a positive way because I was going through a lot of stuff at the time and uh, it turned out to be a very, very interesting album to listen to. It certainly developed on some of the concepts we started off with on the first one. Um, Some of the songs kind of, you know, basically gave you a little bit more with a little bit less, really. You know, kind of reined in some of the song lengths to be a little bit more bite-sized and a bit more easily uh, consumable. Um, And some of the songs um, had some very, very interesting concepts behind them. Like, for example, you had... uh, you know, a Howling Headstone, which was about, uh, you know, basically a haunted gravesite. And, uh, you know, had various different things, such as the Poison Chalice, the title track. That was basically summing up the concept of the whole album. 
basically it wasn't so much a concept album but the overarching theme of the album was about how evil women can be and uh basically about how how sort of vindictive things can uh, you know can turn out at the sort of uh, the beginning and ending stages of a, of a relationship so you know short of me being an incel basically what i was trying to come across with on this album was basically just talking about love in general and uh you know the poison chalice basically a poison chalice is something where you know it basically it feels like something that's going to be a positive but actually in the end you know in in retrospect it's something that is actually designed to uh target you and punish you and that's basically what i felt about love at the time you know it was something in the short term was something that was very very positive and obviously made you very happy and and made life better but you know, at the time, it kind of felt as though things were never really meant to last at any point, and, uh, you know, they always seemed to come around and bite me in the ass again. So that's kind of partially where that title comes from. Um, it was also a neat and novel little way of me sort of incorporating a little bit more into the overarching theme of Infernal Symphony. I kind of wanted to stick with the medieval aesthetics a little bit and come across with, you know, some of the other different things that medieval people may have uh, gone through. And of course, love is a universal thing. It's something that everyone all across the world throughout human history has always, uh, you know, been in receipt of and understood what it means. So I thought it was a good way of kind of, you know, retaining some of the, uh, the concepts established with the first album, but developing them and layering them and trying to expand our horizons a bit with something a little bit new and a bit of a fresh take on the original theme so yeah it was a very very interesting album and uh, of course that was helped by the fact that it was also came bundled with the included uh, very first ep we ever made which was of course the words form blades ep um this was a great neat little achievement for me as well it was pretty much um i never really actually intended to make an ep at this point in time bear in mind this was uh around about three months after the band itself had been revealed and around about a year and a half since i just first started recording material for it so it was still pretty early on in the uh the kind of the life cycle of the band and uh you know i never really sort of designed ahead of time i never really planned to do the ep it kind of just happened really it kind of just came out of nowhere i just carried on the writing uh, sessions for the second album uh because basically you know i'd already done abattoir of agony and that was pretty decent but i wasn't quite fully happy with it at the time unholy persecution on the other hand came together a lot more swiftly and a lot easier and uh you know that pretty much was a self-contained thing that kind of just took its course and just went you know without a hitch basically from start to finish so that was out of the way as well so since i'd had some success with that and i'd had a bit of a buzz about the band to start with given that initial album seen as nobody you know not even my closest friends and family had any idea that i was releasing it or even you know was going to branch out on my own and start my own solo project so so after the initial impact of all of that coming out and all of the announcements there um i felt a little bit of pressure to be honest on me to kind of come up with something that was going to cut the mustard and not even just uh surpass the first album but at least uh you know be on par with it and that was a more difficult challenge than it sounds yes of course there's the old stereotype about the sophomore album being the difficult second album and this very much was the case uh for me really and i never really anticipated that being the way uh things would go uh at the time so it was a bit difficult really the, uh, the you know the writing and recording sessions the coming up with ideas and the brainstorming for this album was certainly much harder than i first you know anticipated it would be it took me a great deal longer to come up with concepts and ideas that would you know basically you know be uh, be of benefit to listeners and also something that was something i'd be proud of making as well and it was a little bit challenging because i'd not really ever done any of this before 
you know, this is before the days of me being able to write Dungeon Synth material and put it out two days later, like I did with the, uh, you know, You'll Be Sorry EP uh, at the end of December last year. This was kind of, you know, while I was still finding my feet a little, really, and it was difficult to kind of figure out exactly what direction I wanted to go in. I'd already had a basis uh, and foundation laid with the first album, so I didn't really want to stray too far away from that and alienate people. But on the other hand, I didn't want to do more of the same and just do a repeat of the first album. I kind of needed to find a nice middle ground, and I didn't really have all all that much experience in order to be able to figure out the best way of doing that so luckily things went the way they did i ended up with a very very solid album by the end of it um and it was uh, it was very much a process of trial and error really and that's basically why we ended up with so much material um during these second writing sessions so uh so yes yeah, so the um uh the 12 tracks that featured on the album in the end um were basically more or less there from the start really however having said that um the original running order for the album was quite a lot different um so uh, most of the songs that ended up on the words form blades ep in actual fact were originally part of the first main running order of the album the first draft of the album basically was going to include all 16 tracks which i thought was quite uh, ambitious really for a second album but uh you know as things went as it turned out that isn't exactly what happened so in the end i decided it would be a little bit better to split them off and make the because uh, basically what happened was you know when i first listened to the the, the finalized running track order of the album you know i, I was definitely impressed with how far i'd come uh, you know uh after what we'd done on Holy Persecution, but there was a little nagging bit of me that kind of was telling me that it wasn't quite good enough. You know, there were some tracks I felt maybe dragged on a little too much. Um, I couldn't, I could never seem to really get the flow of the album to feel right. It, sometimes it dragged in places and zipped by in others, and I didn't really want it to do that. I wanted it to be a lot more uniform, you know, have a lot more weight behind each track and basically have everything sound the way it should do. Um, and uh, it took me a good long while, but basically the best way I figured out of doing that, really, I basically figured out rather than just... Because in my head, I'd already had a certain idea in mind as to what track order I wanted and what songs should go where. And it was very, very difficult, to be honest, trying to break myself out of that way of thinking and, and break that habit and, and uh, you know, maybe giving it a different outlook, really. So, you know, I kind of just had to say to myself, Dom, look, at the end of the day things don't always go according to plan sometimes you have to think on the spur of the moment and you have to make the best of the situation so i eventually decided to cut some of the songs i wanted on there to start with even though they were good songs they just didn't quite fit the flow of the album and the the sound of the album that i wanted to go for um it didn't really quite gel with the rest of them so they got taken away luckily they eventually uh, resurfaced on the words form blade dp and the the, you know, the the really weird thing about all this guys this was never intended to happen so not only did I not really want to do the EP in the first place, it just kind of came about. But secondly, all the all the songs on that um, on on the Words Form Blades EP were all recorded at various different times, different you know recording uh, you know setups, different sorts of things like this. Loads of wildly varied different sort of concepts behind them. Not you know they didn't really ever gel well with the Poison Chalice or with each other. But somehow miraculously. You know, maybe I, I took maybe like the original, let's take the original track list of Poison Chalice. I'd take maybe track three here, track seven here, track 12 here, took them all away, you know, consolidated what was left and made the main second album the best thing it could be. And then when all that was said and done and that album was in the can, the tracks that I'd removed are basically just played together side by side one day. I just put them all in the playlist in a random order, press play, 
listen to it 25 minutes in and what would you have it you know what would you know it literally was perfect from start to finish so i was like oh shit right quite you know get get my notepad get my notebook write down which songs go in which order now so it's saved so i know what's happening and that's basically how the words form blades ep arrived uh, i literally just had a, a very very uh, happy accident i ended up falling upon the exact right songs coming into place in the exact right order all by, by pure random chance and that is why the album and the EP have such a very, very near and dear close place in my heart. And that is also why I decided to include the Words of Form Blades EP as a special bonus for purchasing the second album as well. Because I was very much, um, you know, I don't want to say afraid, but I was definitely conscious of the, uh, you know, the, the fact that I had needed to make a big statement and a big impact with this second album. And I felt that by doing something really out of the box and really mind-blowing by giving you not just 12 tracks but another you know 25 minute ep along with it for free as well for three pound 50 i thought that was a great way of doing it so so yeah so for those of you that haven't listened to the album at all i'm going to play you a few tracks here today um it's been a long while to be honest since i've listened to many of these um which i'm sure it is for you guys as well that is if you've listened to them at all and this is precisely why i wanted to shine a spotlight on this album you know this month given the fact that it is three years to the month since it came out because there's a lot of hidden gems on here that I think a lot of people have definitely overlooked for some time. And it's about time. Given the fact that I'm not able to actually record any new guitar music at the moment, I think it's probably a good excuse to give you guys a little bit of a taste of some of the early days of the band and some of my earliest guitar recordings. Because it has been a while since I've done any new ones. So, here we go guys. This is going to be a track from The Poison Chalice, our second album. Um, I haven't quite decided which one yet. I was going to go with the Crimson uh, Palace because that was the very first single we ever put out in between Unholy Persecution and the Poison Chalice album. But uh, although that's the, the first track on the album, that is also one of the most played tracks from the album as well. So I'm actually not going to play that just now. Instead, I'm going to go for some of the deeper cuts that may or may not have actually been listened to by a great many people. So what should we go for here? Um, I'm actually trying to remember which ones are some of the best ones from the album. Uh, how about we go for Forbidden Fruit? This is track three on The Poisoned Chalice.
So there we go, guys. That was... So there we go, guys. That was track number three from The Poison Chalice. So, yeah, so uh, I wanted to display that track because it was an absolutely fantastic sort of example of what that album sounds like, really. It's much more focused. It's a lot more uh, sort of confident sounding than the first one. You know, my recording of the guitar tone is much better and stronger. I basically had a bit more of an idea what I was doing sonically with the music. It was just more of a case of trying to figure out thematically and songwriting-wise exactly how uh, I was going to sort of top the first album. So it ended up being pretty much a resounding success, really. I ended up getting more people listen to it. Uh, at least initially. Of course, over the years, the amount of plays for Unholy Persecution has surpassed it, but that's mostly because it's the one of the few free albums that I've done, so a lot of people tend to gravitate towards that and listen to the debut uh, more than some of the others. I think the price tag kind of scares people away a bit, which is a bit unfortunate, but... Yeah, but nevertheless, the album itself was an absolutely brilliant album. Um, it was one of those things where if you listen to that track, even just from that single track alone, you can kind of tell where I was going with things, really. You know, the first album was very dark, moody, oppressive, dingy, aggressive, and uh, very, very harsh and raw. And this album was still pretty dingy and, you know, still quite grimy production-wise, but it definitely had a bit of a clearer production quality to it. The songs themselves, like I say, were a bit more snappy and straightforward. Uh, there was a hell of a lot more melody in there. I wasn't quite as afraid to kind of branch out and try some extra extra thrashy riffs or try out some maybe more catchy or perhaps more memorable song, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, what's the phrase? Songwriting layouts, let's say. Um... You know, because song structure hasn't really been something that's been very much set in place for me over the years. I kind of like to just do things a bit more freeform. Whereas uh, there was a bit more of a concerted effort on this album to kind of make, you know, kind of a bit more bite-sized, catchier songs that followed a bit more of a standard songwriting template for metal. So that was something that ended up happening just par for the course, really. It was just uh, my way of differentiating this album from the first one that came before it. And uh, it basically gave the uh, the album its very own sound and flavour. And, uh, you know, that is very much very well represented by that track. I'm also going to play you another track um, in a sec as well. This next track is going to be also from this album. And you never know, we might even have a chance to squeeze in an album or a track or two from uh, Words Form Blades EP as well. Um, but we'll have to wait and see, because we do also have the Laceration Coronation album coming out this month, guys. This is a complete departure from what you just listened to, because the brand new album is, of course, a new Dungeon Synth album. It will be the third full-length album we've released this year. It will also be, I think, um, probably our fifth or sixth Dungeon Synth album at this point as well. So that's going to be shaping up to be a fantastically good album. And then, of course, we also need to somehow squeeze in enough time to talk about Demigod Plastination as well, which is going to be another Dungeon Synth album, as I said, coming out next month, which is the follow-up to uh, this month. So we have a hell of a lot of stuff to cover. So this may or may not be the very last uh, track from The Poison Chalice we listened to today. But nevertheless, guys, fear not, because we will, of course, be listening to even more of the in the next episode as well so uh, without beating around the bush any longer let's play another track from the poison chalice and call it a day you know here for this album for now and we'll probably dive into it a little bit more next uh, episode in a few weeks as well so just before we move on to the next topic of this episode then so uh oh blimey my voice did something weird there didn't it 
Alright then guys, so uh, yeah, so something that I really, really was quite anticipated of and quite excited to talk to you guys about today, for this episode at least, was uh, the fact that I've actually finally got around to watching the uh, Hail Satan question mark documentary on Netflix. Uh, it's been on Netflix in the UK for a good couple of months now, um, I only just kind of came across it the other day. And uh, seeing as though it's um, seeing as though it's a couple of months since um, the previous episode we did, I think it was probably about March or April time, where we were talking about the pros and cons of the Church of Satan and of the Satanic Temple, and kind of diving into what it means to be a modern Satanist in 2020. Um, that was basically uh, for those of you that either didn't listen to the show or can't really uh, you know cast your minds that far back. It was basically an episode where I went over the uh, the fundamental tenets of both the Church of Satan and of the Satanic temple um at the time i didn't really have that much of an understanding of exactly what the satanic temple was although since having watched this documentary i have a much greater breadth of knowledge on it and a greater understanding of it um i think if you recall the end of that episode i pretty much came to the conclusion that uh that although the satanic temple had some neat ideas and it was a very exciting prospect for the future um i was still going to remain um steadfast in my belief of uh the Levain Satanist method of Satanism. So this um, this section of this episode is pretty much just here to kind of reevaluate that really and go back over the, the conclusion I came to there and kind of see if that's changed any uh, since watching that documentary. Because uh, for those of you that haven't watched it, I would definitely recommend the film. Um, it's an absolutely fantastic film. Um, it was directed by Penny Lane, who is a very, very unorthodox, uh, but very, very much um, a, a brilliant um, American sort of underground um, a movie director, and I'm not really a movie buff, I don't really know a great deal about actors and franchises and directors and all the ins and outs of it, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll save that for the people that work for Rotten Tomatoes, but, um, but yeah, for, for, you know, in layman's terms, for me, for, for someone who has a great deal of understanding on Satanism and has a passing interest in filmmaking, on every single level, it was an absolutely brilliant uh, film, um, I was quite surprised and, uh, you know, quite um, pleased, to be honest, to actually find something like that on Netflix. Because uh, normally it's the sort of thing they don't really tend to touch with a 10-foot barge pole. But uh, I was happy to find it on there. For those of you that have already watched the film, you'll already know of its brilliance. But for those of you that haven't yet, I would definitely urge you and recommend you to go and check it out uh, if you're able to. Um, it pretty much, um, to give you the the long story short, it pretty much follows more or less the inception of um, uh, the Satanic Temple as a brand new religion and uh, pretty much covers um, the first sort of beginning steps of time from its uh, inception. I think it was around about 2013 up to around about 2017 or 18 uh, when uh, the movie concluded. I think they, re they, rec they actually filmed the movie over the span of about four years or so. So it's quite a long term in-depth project uh, for the director. And um, essentially, it's um, it's quite a nice, interesting documentary that kind of, uh, you know, it gathers together all sorts of different things about the history of Satanism and then applies it to the most modern reincarnation of the Satanic uh, belief um, in the modern age, which, of course, is the Satanic Temple. So um, I was pretty much just expecting it to cover a lot of the... I was, I was ex basically primarily expecting it to focus on, uh, you know, the most sort of no newsworthy and noteworthy uh, aspects of the Satanic Temple... Um, because even for those of you who aren't Satanists, um, but you keep a close eye on the news on religion in America, you'll have probably heard some of the uh, quite astounding and, to be honest, quite, uh, you know, remarkably brilliant um, things in the news that you've seen over the years from time to time from the Satanic Temple, who have pretty much uh, been in the news a lot for booking the system and uh, basically showing up the Christians for their stupid and erratic ways. Um, 
Um, just for a bit of context here, um, I've basically been a Church of Satan enthusiast for the past 10 years or so. I've much, very much been a Levain Satanist since I very first found out exactly what it was. Um, but I'll be honest, this film did actually make me question that. And it did make me uh, actually sign up to the Satanic Temple as well. Um, basically because uh, of, of a few fundamental different reasons. Um, and uh, those of you that listened to the last episode of the podcast will probably already know that, uh, um, uh, you know, up until now, I've been a, a steadfast believer in Levain Satanism, and I was honestly not expecting this movie to actually make any difference to that. But surprisingly, it has. And I'll be going into the, the reasons for that and why shortly. But, uh, but yeah, just to stick with the train of thought I've got going at the moment, um, the movie itself was brilliant. Um, it pretty much does a, a fantastic job of covering every single base that you would want to cover for a documentary like this. Um, I was, uh, I was a bit, um, I was actually, uh, kind of, uh, filled with trepidation at the thought of watching the movie, to be honest, before I really found out that much about it. Um, primarily because, um, um, you know, most of the time when you see Satanism in mass, uh, mass market or mainstream media, such as a movie or as a TV series or a documentary or whatever it is, you know, nine times out of ten, they mostly just seem to be there to take the piss and to kind of just, uh, you know, uh, point a finger at all the freaks for us to, all us normies to laugh at them. Um, so I was very much, um, you know, very um, quite surprised and happy to see that they didn't really take that approach with this movie. In actual fact, it seemed to go the other way. It actually uh, went to great lengths, I thought, to kind of uh, paint Satanism as a very, very viable, um, you know, alternative religion um, in the modern age. And it actually made, uh, you know, it helped make sense of everything. I think it, uh, it, it actually portrayed um, the uh, Satanism Satanic Templars are very, very intelligent and smart and uh, thoughtful and also a very funny bunch. Um, and, uh, you know, it didn't really give... Um, it didn't seem to really sit on the side of the fence one way or the other, really. It was kind of just sat on the on the fence in the middle, um, which I, I, I quite liked, the neutral sort of standpoint of the movie. Um, but, um, yeah, I would definitely recommend everyone to watch it because uh, it, it basically, um, you know, for someone who, was, who has been, you know, a, a, a Levain Satanist for so long now... The fact that it's really made me seriously consider swapping over to the Satanic Temple instead is an absolute marvel, if I'm completely honest. Um, to the point where it's actually making me question the, the entire reason why I decided to believe in Levain Satanism in the first place. Now, I suppose you've got to kind of bear in mind, really, that I'm obviously 28 years of age at this point in time. When I first found out about uh, the Church of Satan, I was only 18 years old. So, obviously, you know, we change as human beings a hell of a lot in, in just one year. So, you know, for me, turning from a teenager into now a young adult uh, and, and, you know, quietly approaching middle age at this point, uh, you know, slowly but surely, it's definitely, it, it was, I think it was about the right place and the right time, really. It made me reevaluate my decisions of my teenage years in that regard to my beliefs and uh, I'm glad it did because it's really opened my eyes a lot more it's made me realize that I didn't perhaps understand all of the uh, you know all of the facets of satanism as perhaps I thought I you know I like to think I did um it's kind of made me realize essentially that uh, the church of satan is a little bit of a sham in the modern age and I think uh, part of me was still kind of uh, in love with the idea of it at its inception in the 60s which uh, you know was brilliant for the time don't get me wrong you know the church of satan 
is an absolutely landmark achievement for modern Satanism as a whole. It's, like, it's the entire reason it exists now. Um, you know, without Anton LaVey and without the Church of Satan, um, there would be no Satanic Temple. There would be no other different modern versions of Satanism. It pretty much would still be resigned to, uh, you know, the Bible, basically. So, um, so yeah, credit where credit's due. Anton LaVey introduced me to the idea of modern Satanism as well, and I'll always be eternally grateful to him for that. Um... You know, I'll still read the Satanic Bible. I still love it as a, a work of, uh, you know, um, of art and as a book. And I'm still going to follow that to, uh, you know, as much as I can. Because to be honest, at the end of the day, although um, I'll go into the reasons why I prefer the Satanic Temple now uh, in just a moment. But, uh, you know, the Church of Satan will always hold a very special place in my heart. And I'll still try and adhere to those tenets as much as possible because um, there is still a hell of a lot... There's still a hell of a lot of stuff in that book that uh, still applies to me and that I still will adhere to because, uh, you know, I very much still agree with 95% uh, of the book. But 5% of that is the part that I always had trouble sort of reconciling, really. And this movie drove that point home even more. I really do think the primary reason for this, to be honest, was basically uh, firstly due to the fact of how good the movie itself actually was. But also the fact that, uh, you know, it, it basically, uh, it really opened my eyes on exactly what the Satanic Temple is, what it's all about, and what its uh, sort of goals are. Because that was something that was always a bit up in the air for me before I actually watched the movie. Um, and, you know, with it being such a new organisation, I didn't really know as much as I'd have liked to about it. Um, you know, over the years, I've actually seen a few little weird little uh, kind of... Uh, offshoots of satanism take root over the past few years whether it's been online over facebook or you know in day-to-day -day life um and to be honest most of them are a little bit weird um some of them actually end up being uh, theistic satanists which is pretty ridiculous uh because as the Ch church of satan like to say you know the only people that believe in a literal satan are christians so uh that's a bit weird but um yeah so it seems as though the satanic temple are not only just a religious movement. In actual fact, a couple of months ago, they actually received uh, the confirmation from the US government of actually being an officially recognised religion because they now have tax-exempt status in the US, which is a monumental achievement for an organisation less than a decade old. So uh, they're a bona fide religious uh, you know, uh, organisation now, which uh, further adds uh, to their credit and uh, obviously to their legitimacy um, so uh, I think that's one of the things that kind of helped me along with this movie to uh, treat them a little bit more seriously really um, to be honest um, based on some of the news reports and stuff beforehand I think some of my uh, you know reservations about them are kind of kind of caused by the fact that I, I didn't really see them as being an actual proper you know uh, religious organization to start with I, I pretty much just you know at first thought they were just activists and they were just using the concept of Satanism um you know pretty much as a bit of branding really and i suppose when you get to the nitty-gritty of it that's kind of what it is um but i didn't really sort of fully appreciate until uh having watched this movie exactly how much uh of the uh you know the uh, religious doctrine there actually is in there uh you know they don't really have very much in terms of the way of actual literature i think that's one of the main things that drew me to the church of satan initially to be honest actually the fact that they actually had you know uh, written documentation you know publicized works such as their own version of a bible it kind of uh, that's one of the main things that i always draw my attention to really for, for sort of determining what is a you know a, a legitimate religion or not do they have uh, you know a book of worship and and the satanic temple unfortunately do not really um they kind of um in in you know in in very much a, a very modern way of doing things. Their 
sort of, uh, I suppose, you know, method of doctrine is through their website, which you could kind of, I suppose, consider a very, very postmodern version of their Bible. Um, you know, but they've got their own, uh, you know, rules of uh, ethics and code. Um, they've got their own morals. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're doing things in a very, very, uh, you know, good and, uh, I suppose, probably quite a groundbreaking way, really. Um, you know... It's, uh, I mean, the, the the film itself illustrates it very, very well. It's it's not only just a religious organisation in, um, you know, I suppose a uh, sort of descriptive sense, but it is actually one that, uh, you know, it doesn't just... Uh, I think the problem is, I think the Church of Satan, I think the reason why, um, you know, it's kind of falling to the wayside a little bit these days is that since the death of Anton LaVey, um, it's kind of been quite directionless. It's kind of been treading water and floundering hasn't really been you know very much initiatives in terms of, of, of leadership and sort of a you know a, a pragmatic approach they don't really seem to these days actually do very much they pretty much just seem to just be there and exist and I think that's part of the reason why you know my uh, sort of uh, status as a Church of Satan member has kind of been up in the air for me lately um, I didn't really kind of uh, I was beginning to kind of not really see the point of it really because you know what's the part of being what's the what's the point in being part of a religion if there's actually nothing there really to keep you there um you know beyond the actual book itself or the series of books uh, that's pretty much all you've got to go on really you know it's a it's a very very independent organization it pretty much just leaves you to your own devices and there's not very much in terms of the way of uh, you know correspondence or uh, guidance really or or basically any anything to kind of denote you as being um you know, part of the Church of Satan. In fact, the only way of being a part of it, really, is actually by forking out $250 for a membership card. So, you know, the more I've looked into it with a, you know, a, a, a crit critical eye and the more I've kind of debated it with myself internally, the more I've come to the realisation that uh, the Church of Satan just actually isn't for me anymore. And that, guys, is something I honestly never in a million years thought I would ever say. But hey, you know, I'm quite happy to be wrong if it means that my outlook on life is improving. So, uh, you know, so with that said, the Satanic Temple is a much different organisation. It's a lot newer. Um, it, they take a lot more of a forward-thinking approach to things, a lot more of a proactive approach to things, because the main thing that sets them apart from the Church of Satan is, rather than being a very stoic, very inward and sort of very inactive organisation, they're the complete and absolute opposite of that. They very much seem to be very, very active politically in terms of, uh, you know, uh, demonstrations and with political lobbying. They uh, try and drive their points across not only with, uh, you know, might and with uh, actions, but also with words and also with, uh, as I say, with demonstrations and, uh, you know, with political stunts that are deliberately designed to try and change the status quo, try and change the religious setup in America, you know, try and change the government and, uh, you know, the state and government sort of relationship and try and challenge some of the bridges of control that have been created there over the years. Um, case in point, you know, with them trying to put up their own monument of uh, Baphomet in numerous different states and getting rejected for various different reasons, they've simultaneously not only made themselves appear a little bit more established, but they've also exposed some of the flaws and biases in the US political and religious uh, spectrums. So... You know, just for that one thing alone, they're already a much more beneficial organisation, not just for me personally, but for all Satanists worldwide, than the Church of Satan. Maybe not has been altogether, but certainly within the last 10, 20 years, 
you know, they're definitely uh, doing a lot more for the, for the concept of modern Satanism going forward than the Church of Satan are currently. Um, so, you know, it's basically an organisation that's achieving a lot more in a much more shorter space of time. And they're making actual real world, real life differences rather than just being like a, you know, a fancy members club. So, so that's part of the reason why I've decided to officially now convert 100% to the Satanic Temple. Although, as I said previously, I will still be reading the Satanic Bible and following that as much as possible as well, because, as I say, 99% of it I do still uh, agree with. There's just a few certain things uh, in there. For example, uh, you know, the concept of sort of punishing others, um, you know, and basically, you know, smiting them is a, a, one of the fundamental tenets of Satanism that I've never really been able to get on with because that's personally not the sort of person I am. I don't usually try and seek out revenge in a physical, violent kind of way. I'm more... Uh, I sort of more tend to prefer trying to get even with people or trying to get revenge. And that doesn't really seem like the sort of thing that uh, Levain Satanism kind of uh, vouches for. It seems to, you know, kind of pretty much, uh, you know, kind of encourage you to actually, uh, you know, not necessarily be violent to people, but basically to, to actually, you know, really try and hurt and maim people, either physically or emotionally, um, if they wrong you. Uh, whereas uh, the Satanic Temple basically teaches you to uh, treat all living beings with the all equal same sense of worth. So just that and one of many other things are some of the things that I think the Satanic Temple not only, you know, keeps on par with the Church of Satan with, but it actually improves over the basic foundations that they've already had laid down for the past 60 years or so. So, so yeah, it's an evolution of the Church of Satan. This film definitely illustrates that perfectly because it includes... Numerous different, uh, you know, archive footage of LeVay with interviews with him and obviously of, uh, you know, coverage of uh, something that surprised me is quite a lot of the uh, coverage in the film actually also features about the satanic panic of the late 80s and early 90s as well, which was something I was already uh, more than familiar with. But it was still nice to see that represented here because it acts as some of the context, uh, you know, that informed the actual creation of the satanic temple as well. So all in all, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, focusing on a very very fantastic brand new religion um, and it's something that I am very very pleased and proud to be a part of uh, and I'm very much going to be happy to continue being a part of the satanic temple for many many years to come um, as well as keeping some of my original basic founding concepts that I've carried over from the church of satan into my own personal version of modern satanism in the modern age <laughs> Hello there guys, so thank you so much for listening to the podcast so far. Um, so this is just a quick little announcement really, and an unexpected one as well. Um, but uh, I'm afraid to say really that this actually does now conclude this episode. I'm sorry if that was very, very abrupt. Um, and then we had a much longer show planned for you. But due to unforeseen circumstances regarding the coronavirus outbreak, and also, uh, you know, various different changes to, to uh, work commitments and uh, things of that nature. I'm afraid I've had to basically uh, cut short this episode um, because there is also an announcement I'm going to be making about this officially being the end of season one of the Infernal Symphony Pestilence podcast. OK, so 
basically the original plan for this was for this to just be a rolling podcast um for me to do an episode each month um that was the original basis of the idea in 2018 and that was also the case when i revived it at uh, the tail end of 2019 as well but uh, in the six months of uh taking place after that a lot of things have changed not just in the world around us but in my own personal life and of course that of the band as well because the one and you know both of those two things are intertwined so uh you know i'm not going to beat around the bush about this and i'm also not going to hold anything back from you either um yeah basically what's happened is at work i've had a hell of a lot of changes been applied there not only just due to the coronavirus which in itself has already brought a whole heap of changes to the way I do things and some of the things that are expected of me. But it's part of a greater problem really about my workplace as well, which is continually trying to make life more difficult for me. Um, You know, continually stripping away privileges and replacing them with uh, duties. So in other words, uh, I don't really actually have that much free time at all now. Um, to either make this podcast or write Infernal Symphony music. So that was pretty much all consigned to time I spent at work. Um, Some might say that was a bit of a strange place to be doing, you know, personal things. But uh, to be honest, that's the only thing I could do, really. It was was sort of not really any choice of mine. Um, It was basically out of necessity because my personal home life is already extremely, you know, hectic as it is. You know, I have a partner with several different mental health disorders as well as a incredibly low paying job so we don't really have any sort of uh, disposable income whatsoever it's pretty much every single penny of our uh, well of my wage comes it's paying the bills and the rent and food expenses you know we actually have very little money for even clothing or you know just uh, fun stuff really so you know that's part of the reason why it's been extremely difficult to get physical merchandise or uh, you know anything of that nature created for the band or doing live shows as well even just recording the music i want to record because it all comes down to finances basically and those and time are something i have not got a great wealth of at the moment so basically to cut a long story short it does mean that the amount of time i have free each month to create these podcast episodes is going to reduce um and therefore the actual amount of podcast you guys are going to have to listen to is going to reduce as well i hate to say this guys but it's a uh, and, uh, you know a hard truth a hard reality at the moment unfortunately so so uh, basically we're going to take a short hiatus from the podcast we do have some material that has already been pre-recorded for future episodes which are instead going to be transferred onto the new season two of the pestilence podcast um so i think this is actually a better system of doing it going forward originally like as i said we were going to be doing one episode of the podcast every month um you know just on a rolling basis and a few months in i had enough time and was enjoying it enough to be able to extend that to two episodes a month then it became not just a hour-long show but an hour and a half long show so uh, maybe it probably was a bit foolish of me to, to you know to kind of presume that i'd be able to create three hours of content on a podcast each and every month you know indefinitely i think that was a bit of a stretch um considering everything else i've got going on so instead there is going to be a new format for the uh for the podcast so we're going to be taking a break can't exactly say at this present time how long for um this episode is going to be going out in june um so um i imagine that it will probably be for a good couple of months perhaps maybe until october again we'll wait and see maybe have a six months on six months off kind of thing going on 
But, uh, you know, for updates to that and for official word on it, keep checking this page, guys. Keep checking Anchor and Spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast. And, of course, also keep keep on checking the Infernal Symphony Facebook page as well because um, that's where most of our up-to-date current news is going to be posted. So, yeah, so unfortunate to, you know, news to, to bring to you guys today. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Um, for those of you that do really love to listen to this podcast and enjoy it, I hope you've enjoyed what you've listened to up to now. There will be more episodes um, upcoming, um, and hopefully they'll be just as good quality as these ones have been as well. I've really, really enjoyed doing it this uh, this podcast this year, to be honest, guys. It's been an incredible learning curve for me. It's been a heck of a lot of good fun. I've really enjoyed some of the stuff we've talked about. Um, it's been nice to see people reciprocating that and listening to not only the podcast, but also the music as well. And that's only going to continue from here on. So this is certainly not the end, guys. I am going to do my best and endeavour to create as much content as I can, given the resources and time available to me. Hopefully you guys are understanding. I'm sure, I'm, you know, I'm definitely sure you guys will be. So thank you so much for bearing with us and bearing with Infernal Symphony during this difficult time, not only just due to the coronavirus, but just due to, you know, just life getting in the way, I suppose. So... Thank you so much for the continued support, guys. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. I'm sorry to cut it short and keep it brief. Um, but yeah, that is it for now. So this is the, I believe it's the 10th or 11th episode of the Pestilence podcast. Um, and we're going to be signing off until October. So this has been Demonic Bishop, guys, and the Infernal Symphony Pestilence podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and hopefully we'll see you in October.